0: Listening to Rattle and Pedal, Diversion Thoughts on Marketing and Growing Professional Services Firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay.
1: So Jeff, today we've agreed to talk about, we're going to call it our 10 biggest mistakes, but I don't know if we'll end up being 10 or not. So I, this may end up getting edited and will sound differently in the, in the final publication. And my only caveat is you, you can't count you, you accepting my LinkedIn invitation as your first mistake. <laughs> what about doing a podcast with you? Well, see, I was thinking the LinkedIn invitation is really what led you to this moment of doing this podcast. (laughs) So the reality is, is that the moment you accepted the connection was really when everything went downhill for you. Life-changing moment, right?
2: Oh, listeners, be careful what invitations you accept.
1: We bound this very broadly, purposely, meaning that you asked me when we set this up and And you said, well, these are marketing mistakes. We already did the brand mistakes one that you talked about. And and I said, no, no, no. I think these are just your 10 biggest business mistakes. So they can be broad. They can be narrow. They can be anything you look back on and think, boy, had I known that, I would have done that differently. Or, or, boy, I I sure learned a lot from that experience. And I just thought I'd be willing to share it. So I don't know. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? There's really no apparent order to anything I put on here. And I imagine you're the same. I mean, it's a little bit all over the place. I think there's things in here that, that listeners probably probably can relate to and have found themselves doing similar things at times.
2: I think you should go
1: first. Okay. And full disclosure, we haven't shared any of these. So I have no idea what's on your list and you have no idea what's on my list, at least I would imagine. So my first one I'm going to say is interesting. It's called hiring a process consultant in lieu of a content consultant. And What I mean by that in the world of, course, consulting firms is that there's process consultants, consultants that have a very clear process and they take that to, you know, firms of all types with limited, maybe limited understanding or knowledge of that industry or that business. And then there's consultants that are subject matter consultants that have deep categorical expertise, deep industry expertise, deep, you know, sector expertise, and they bring that to bear. I have hired both types of those consultants for our agency over the years to help us with different things. And I can say, looking back, that I always felt like I overpaid for the process consultants. I was paying them a premium to learn about our business. And the best return I ever got on any of those engagements was maybe 2x. And every content consultant I ever hired, the subject matter experts, were less expensive and got much greater returns. So we got returns in the ballpark of 25 times from those types of engagements. So,
2: give me an example of a content. I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. You're saying that they specialize in your problem or your industry? Yes.
1: Yes. So, you know, most content consultants are vertically oriented, right? You uh-huh, know, so, uh-huh. you know, they're subject matter experts, you're a content consultant as as am I really. I mean, we're subject matter experts on the area of professional services and that's the area in which we operate fairly narrowly and our expertise can be brought to bear fairly quickly because of that whereas a process consultant has a very you know known structured process that they use to engage clients but they work very horizontally and they they don't really have any in-depth knowledge about any one client in terms of their their market dynamics particularly does that make sense
2: that makes sense and at least one of us is a uh, content expert say that again you said both of us were content experts oh i I didn't mean to i didn't mean to
1: yeah i didn't want to exclude you (laughs) (laughs) i thought that would be rude so that's my first mistake that i look back on and in fact over the years I, i want to say i hired probably two or three different process consultants all of them were disappointments and one of them i hired at the core of the recession and it was a very expensive engagement for us and i do look back and think boy had i made The same hire with a subject matter consultant, I would have made a smaller investment and I would have gotten way further faster than I got on that first deal. So for me, I would be highly unlikely to ever hire a process consultant again. That's my mistake number one. What's your mistake? What's your first?
2: Well, I'm going to jump around my list because I have one somewhat related to what you just threw out. I did not start my career in professional services. You know, I grew up in the auto parts business because it was a family business. After school, I got into sales, selling technology, and then from there, I got into operations. And it wasn't until probably ten years after working that I joined a professional services firm. And it was fascinating. It was all new, and and I loved to learn. But one of the biggest mistakes that I learned later in my career is that I did not go deep enough into understanding the, the business of the firm I was at. I had a high level understanding or I went deep only in a couple of areas that may have interested me. So for example, at Anderson, I definitely went deep on the technology consulting side somewhat on audit and didn't go very deep on tax at all. At Towers Perrin, I loved going deep and understanding the human capital side of people strategy and leadership and all that. was not really interested in the actuarial side. And after a while, I started to realize that you know, each one of those businesses have very unique models and challenges. And the only way you're really going to add strategic impact is to go deep in understanding those. And that's a heavy lift and it takes time, but it's just absolutely necessary because the consultants, the actuaries, the accountants will not respect your opinion unless you understand their business at least as well as, as they do, you may not know tax regulations at the same level or have a CPA or something like that. But you have to put some serious effort into that. And I didn't do that soon enough. And I, I would never do that again. So it kind of reinforces what you were talking around, you know, content.
1: I guess the takeaway of that that learning for you and for people that are listening is if you're younger in your career, go deep fast because you'll regret that you didn't. That kind of is the gist.
2: Yes. And you want to go yeah. deep fast because if you really want to add value to your firm, you need to have a deep understanding of how it works and and how it makes money. And that may be true even if you're a practice leader or partner. You know, get out of your line of business and go understand the dynamics of someone else's business. You know, you may have some kind of annuity relationship because you're the auditor for years. That's a much different relationship than a heavily based project focused business that has a completely different buyer. So I I, I think it benefits anyone. Take the time to understand the entire business.
1: I agree. I will give you another one of mine. This is sort of a, I guess I'll call it a macro mistake. It's a mistake that maybe I fumble into all the time without knowing it. And I don't know if I've really fully learned my lesson or not, (laughs) but I'm going to hope I do. I've called it sliding to extremes. And what I mean by that is, I look back on my career as an agency leader and I feel. Like I've gone from one extreme to another very quickly many times, and probably gave the organization a little bit of whiplash in the process. And I probably would have been better off finding some middle ground. and And I'll give some examples. For years, we had a, what I would call a pure relational outbound business development model. That's how we acquired new clients. Right? We had a biz dev lead, and his or her job was to you know really network and build relationships at a local level, work in the community, and and be, you know look for for large companies that were looking for agency partners. And we went quickly and aggressively to a pure content driven inbound model, you know, so within probably six months, we, we shed all outbound activities and went straight up to a content based, you know, let clients come to us model too much too soon. And, I look back and think, or the middle ground of that is really where you need to be. You know, I would say in, a, in this kind of in the vein of what we talked about a few episodes ago is in that same window, we went from being a, a pure creative agency that was really strong on the design side, really strong on the creative side to one that became much more process oriented, much more martech driven, much more digital needed to happen, but probably went too far. So we ended up going from one extreme to the other, should have been somewhere in the middle. And I have other kind of like things along those lines that all kind of roll together. But just, I have this tendency to, when I see something that I think is sort of the future, so this is what we need to be, I take it to the extreme and I get really aggressive with it. I would have been much better if I said, well, what's the healthy middle here? What's the third path? And something that I don't always do as well as I would like to, I guess, in hindsight. So it's my Hmm. mistake number two. It's sort of a macro mistake.
2: And how do you manage that today? Are you just more self-aware of That tendency, or do you say to your teams, "Hey, if you see me doing this, you know, hit me upside the head and and let's talk about it."
1: More the former, I would say. I mean, it's the self awareness is relatively new in a way. I mean, because I'm sort of reflecting on those things now. But but yeah, it's more the former, being self aware of it and saying, "Well, wait a minute, okay, that shiny object over there sounds great, but is that really the right one? And 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 do we want to go there or not?" Does that fit with our culture? Does that fit with our business? Does that fit with the value proposition we have for the market? And where where is the best opportunity for us? And we'll get to one of my mistakes later, but but I'm a pretty methodical type of person in those ways. And that can also be a hindrance. So you have to be, I have to be self-aware of both of those things simultaneously, I guess. Hmm. That's a good one. All right, throw me another. We're just getting into this. <laughs> keep them coming. Keep them coming.
2: Oh, gosh, I wish I had learned this one earlier. In my career, particularly as I started climbing up the, the management ranks and had more executive decision-making responsibility. And the mistake is trying to control complex systems. Professional services firms, by their very nature, and we talked about this in the BS of PS podcast that we, we've talked about earlier, are unique The matrix organizations, geographically dispersed, very smart people in them working with, you know, very similar types of clients, complex and geographically dispersed. You can't control a system like that. They're like aircraft carriers. There's so many moving parts in those things that no single person can really kind of manage the things that need to be managed to, say, control a brand or a reputation or how we communicate with the market. I don't know how much political capital and time I wasted trying to do that. In the end, you know, I I just came to realize that intelligent people prefer to agree rather than obey. And my role in helping firms grow is very much about enablement. And we've talked a, a little bit about this before. Is, you know, you you give people the tools they need. And then once the tools leave your hands, it's up to them and you have to trust them. And early in my career, I think, well, you know, this is the way it should be. And I know best. and And it was just utter silliness. So... <laughs> That's a big one.
1: Well, I'm laughing only because as an agency, we've done a lot of brand work over the years. And if I reflect on the way we thought about branding 15 years ago and the work we were doing, and even the work the industry was doing, this is kind of picking on us, but I would say the most the industry was in the same boat, was there was so much time and energy put towards trying to control the brand. I mean, it's so much energy. We've talked about this before. You know, building out the perfect messaging strategy, building out the perfect elevator pitch. If I hear one more elevator pitch, I'm going to throw up. I hate elevator pitches because they're they're ridiculous. You have a writer craft this perfect message that no one's ever going to be able to use. And why would they? Why would they, you know, as a, like you said, a very smart, intelligent person, smart and intelligent in an elevator are going to recite this thing verbatim, that's not going to happen. But the one thing I always remember, I used to laugh about this, is I used to love to look at brand guidelines because I thought they were really interesting. I remember this one agency at one point came up with this this model that was kind of interesting where 70-page brand identity document that has guidelines for how to use the brand on every page, they would describe the guideline. This is how you have to use it. And at the bottom, they had this little slider. And the slider was sort of on this end this continuum of control to flexibility, you know. So this is a this is really important or this is not important. So I thought, oh, that's really creative. And I started thumbing through the guidelines document, and every single one of them was on the far right control side. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well that doesn't really help, you know. So <laughs> it's the perfect example of just how we're trying to control things that we really can't. I mean, there's there's things you have to control and you should, and there's things that you just have to just kind of go with the flow and say, "Oh, well, that's not how I would have done it, but that's okay. It it didn't hurt anything, you know. We hmm. got the intent across. That was the goal. I was just in a client meeting this
2: week and, you know, we're working on a go-to-market playbook for this firm and one of the practice leaders When we were going through some of the value proposition and positioning of the firm, I made sure that I said, you will probably never say this stuff verbatim, but it will inform how we communicate to the market. And the practice leader said, wait a minute. Why would we not use that exactly as it's written? And... (sighs) I had to say, you know, because we don't want robots out there. Right? Yeah. Clients can see that, and it's so funny to, you know, having started out that way. I would have loved for that practice leader to just say, "Got it, we'll do it." And now I'm saying, "No, no, no, don't do it." Yeah, just move, just move in that general direction. So,
1: yeah, it was funny. My epiphany on that whole thing actually came out of Obama. Believe it or not, in the in the '08 campaign, I thought he was masterful at kind of keeping this kind of army of people that were out there telling his story on message, even though clearly there's there's no script, right? There can't be a script. How can there be? There's hundreds of thousands of people out there doing grassroots, you know, building. And I, and I thought he did it so well. And that was the first I went, you know, I started kind of rethinking our branding advice saying, no, 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 this is not a, a script guys. This is a directional thing. That was the first, I think, maybe I I wrapped my head around that. So one of the many things I would thank him for. But anyway.
0: You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff.
1: All right. So we have time for a few more. Like I said, we're not going to get to 10. Right now we are at four. We're not going to get to 10, even though we said we framed it as 10. So. My third one actually kind of goes at odds of what my, my second one was, which is that I look back and I wasn't aggressive enough at many opportunities. So while I it, might have slid to the extreme philosophically, I don't think I was aggressive enough at pursuing the opportunity that I saw in the marketplace and doing more than I did. And examples I'll give on that are just... And you'll laugh at this because we we did the, the episode on marketing technology and I kind of Joe tell. I was in the trough of disillusionment there. I look back and think, boy, I really wish I would have committed and invested earlier in Martech and been more heavily invested in it. You know, we were into Salesforce in 08. We were into HubSpot by 09. I mean, we should have invested very aggressively in those in those technologies in hindsight. And I kind of knew it, but I just like I'll be honest, I don't think I had the risk tolerance to do it, to really invest in the people, invest in the infrastructure that we needed to really go get it. And so I I look back and wish that when I saw those opportunities and I knew that they were right in front of me, that I would have had the, the courage to be more aggressive than I was.
2: I mean, that is so human. How many times have people on their deathbeds when asked what's their biggest regret? They never seem to regret the things that they did, they regret the risks not taken because they come to appreciate that even if you risk and fail, you can recover and get up and get going again. And that applies to business opportunities. It applies to career opportunities, to personal relationships. We always think, oh, gosh, what if I fail or what if I you know, leave or do something like that. You're going to be okay. (laughs) Just get the mindset. You're going to be okay. Take the risk. Take the risk. Yeah. That's a good one.
1: Yeah. And I have a list of those. (laughs) Like I'm sure (laughs) everyone does. I only shared a couple, but there's more in that list where my, I'll use the word prudence. You won't like the way I use it, but I, I was just overly prudent. I mean, I was overly cautious about an opportunity that I saw and it was very clear to me, but for whatever reason, I just couldn't, couldn't wrap my head around how to go get it or take the risk to do it. So that's a big one for me. All right, All got right. time for one more. So this we will have a total of six. So this is your third and final. So it better be a good one. I mean, this better be a really, really good one. And it can't be doing this podcast because we already said that doesn't count.
2: Not being able to identify Gandhi moments.
1: <laughs> that's a pretty big one, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Gandhi moments, this is an expression That the CMO at Arthur Anderson taught me. He was an old salty dog partner, great guy, wicked smart. When my young idealistic self would approach him and say, Hey, we've got to do it this way, or this is the way, you know, getting back to controlling complex systems, he shared that these are Gandhi moments. And I'm like, w- what's a Gandhi moment? He goes, Jeff, it's important. And you're right. We should do that. But I'm not willing to die for it. In other words, he was not going to starve himself, so to speak, like Gandhi over one of these situations or idealistic perspectives that I had. And I loved the way he articulated that. And it's, you know, you need to pick your fights wisely. And early on in my career, I I just think I picked too many wrong fights, either because I was idealistic or because I wanted to be in control or I was insecure or whatever the case may be. But I come to appreciate that the best leaders know how to pick good fights and when to fight and when not to fight. And like you just said on your last one there's a whole list of those that go under underneath this, but I wish I had learned that lesson much earlier and didn't make that mistake so often. So, being able to identify the Gandhi moments.
1: Yeah, it's interesting cuz that's almost the inverse of what I just said. You know, it's it's looking back at the risk not taken, the choices you know not pursued and this is is looking back at the moments where you say, Boy, was that worth the political capital I spent to, to try to do that? Almost the risk that I did take that I regret that I took. Well that leaves us in a conundrum, right? You know, we we look back on on, on our mistakes and we say, boy, we have mistakes that are, are ones where we didn't do the things we, we regretted we didn't take take the risks. And then we have we, we regret that we did. <laughs> so so it, it, it makes you realize how In a way, that that my notion of the sliding to extremes that that notion of the middle path is so critical that that notion of, okay, there's usually a third way and we just don't always see it.
2: Yeah. And and I would say an additional and probably even more important aspect of that is that you're going to make mistakes. It's and, and, and that may be in the positive way or in the negative way, maybe may be taking a risk or not taking a risk, whatever the case may be. The whole point is, are you learning from the mistakes that you've made, right? You talk about yours and you share them. And as a result, your behavior, your approaches have changed. When people don't identify their mistakes or they identify them, but they don't learn or change anything, it's when you run into problems. But in, in my experience, uh, I I might even add this to my list of mistakes: is not making enough mistakes, right? Of of trying and failing yeah. and 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 just going and because I can get stuck in analysis paralysis. Should I do it? Should I not do it? Here are the benefits. Here are the weakness. yeah. Uh, uh, just go. Yeah. Sometimes I mean, business life is just moving too quickly, and sometimes you just got to go.
1: Yeah. I honestly can't think of wiser words than than that. So I'm going to wrap it. I am going to say thank you. I appreciate you being willing to be vulnerable with me in this moment and share the things that we got wrong. And I know I have more on my list. I know you do as well. So if this is well-received, maybe we'll come back to it another time. But other than that, I'll talk to you next week. See you, buddy. See ya.